Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. In the last episode, we talked about drama and how it tends to play out in life and business. We talked about a framework called the drama triangle, which is a a term that was coined by Dr. Stephen Cartman, oh, sometime back in the 70s, I would say, to describe patterns of behavior that he'd observed playing out amongst families and couples, relationships, workplace colleagues, and a variety of other scenarios. The drama triangle has three primary characters playing out their roles in an almost script-like fashion, based on what we called some triggering behaviors or attitudes by one of the players in the story. Now, I'm not going to go deep into detail of all the, about all those characters in the triangle since I described in depth each one of those in the last episode. If you haven't lessened, listened to episode four, season six, The Drama Triangle, go back and listen to it. But as a quick recap, in The Drama Triangle, there is a victim, there is a rescuer or hero, and then there is a persecutor or a villain. You can think of, you can, you can kind of interchange them. Victim, hero, villain, or rescuer and persecutor. They all have a role. They all have a script that plays out in their head and in their behavior. And they all keep each other in a set of behaviors that are typically quite limited, limiting, and I would say in many cases, damaging. Now, if you listened to that episode, and I hope you did, and recognized some of the patterns and roles in your own life, well, good. That was the point in discussing it on this show. The show is all about finding and creating value in anything and everything and eliminating drama from our lives and businesses is one of the quickest shortcuts to being able to find and add value, in my opinion. When you are caught up in the infinity loop of drama, as I called it in the last episode, you just cycle back and forth between these roles. You simply don't have the internal resources to do other things. It's really tough to see and take advantage of opportunity when you're constantly playing out dramas in your life or at work. It's really difficult to move ahead in life or business when you're constantly caught up in a cycle of either victimhood or of rescuing being the hero to somebody else's victim or judging and persecuting others for not living up to your standards. Those are the three roles. Now, I have talked in previous episodes about living with somebody for 18 years that had a very well-honed script of both the victim and the persecutor. That was That's the thing. That's the thing we talked about in the last episode is the victim often becomes the persecutor when the person that saves them or tries to save them doesn't live up to their standards. Now, I wasn't mature enough at the time or aware enough to recognize the triangle or the infinity loop playing out on an almost weekly basis. And in complete transparency, I'm sure it was one of the things that I was attracted to initially. The chance for me to play the hero or the rescuer was something that got triggered in me right away, didn't recognize it, but it made me feel good. There was immediate benefit. And of course, the scripts started playing out right away. I was able to rescue this individual from minor situations, you know, family dynamics and things like that, to big situations at work and at other places. Now, not that I didn't have my own issues. We all do and still do. But the strongest script being played out in that particular relationship was that of me being a rescuer to her victimhood. And it, it, it worked great, by the way, when there wasn't a lot on the line. However, things tend to progress and get more serious the more committed people get to each other. And that's exactly what happened. Marriage, careers, life, kids, multiple businesses, real estate, money, typical struggles. And the roles get played out in a variety of ways. The problem is that once the roles are established in a relationship, 
They can be very difficult to change without outside help. And if you don't recognize what's going on and playing out, well, why would you seek out help? That was the case in our situation. Nevertheless, with divorce 10 plus years in the rearview mirror and many years, many hours of personal coaching and counseling, it became extremely clear how the scripts played out with the perfect precision over and over and over for 18 years. And I actually feel lucky to have gotten out of the loop with only half of my life stuck in it. We can all point to people much older than ourselves who might be stuck in some kind of drama loop and have been for many decades. In fact, most of us, I would say, could probably point to our parents in some area and say, yep, that's them all right. Dad does this, mom does this, dad then does this, and then mom goes into this mode. We see it, we can identify the pattern, but we write it off as, well, that's just them, and then we chuckle it off. What we're identifying when we do that is likely how we were trained to react and, and respond in life in all of our relationships. No jokes, no chuckles needed. Those are the people who messed you and I up for some extended period of time. And while you can't fix anybody else, you can eliminate those patterns, those triggers, and those codependencies within yourself and from those relationships when you start to recognize them. And here's the thing. When you fix it in you, you fix it for the rest of the world. Now, this is coming from my Zen training, so I'll try to explain. What do I mean? We're talking about empowerment. And when you're empowered to take control of your own behaviors and your own BS, you begin to heal some of the dysfunction, some of the trauma within yourself. When you start to heal the dysfunction and the trauma within yourself, you rewrite the script, you make new connections, and you start behaving differently in the world. In essence, you show up differently in the world. When you start behaving and showing up differently in the world, the rest of the world behaves differently for you. That's what it means to fix it for the rest of the world. The only thing we can ever control is ourselves and how we show up in the world. We cannot control how the rest of the world shows up for us. We can't control how the other characters in our lives will show up or how they'll behave. We can only control how we'll respond when they do show up in our lives. When you end the drama, when you end the cycle, when you start working on your own trauma, when you put an end to dysfunction and to codependency in your relationships and in your businesses, by the way, people run businesses. Businesses are filled with humans. Humans bring all their shit to the office. And when you put an end to that, you're no longer contributing to that particular issue in the world. When you fix it in you, you fix it for the whole world. It doesn't mean you've fixed others. It doesn't mean their problems go away. It's not what that statement means. It doesn't mean you've solved a big global problem. It means that it's the only thing you can do. And since we are all the center of our own individual worlds, all the work to be done is within ourselves. What we can hope for, but not count on or expect, is that when you show up better in the world, others will want to follow your lead. You're setting an example. So how do we start to change the way that we show up when it comes to the drama triangle? Well, we begin to employ what has been referred to as the empowerment dynamic. Now, call it whatever you want. I don't care. I'm a fan of simple. The empowerment dynamic, like the drama triangle, has three characters in essence, but they're different from the three dysfunctions or characters that we talked about last week. The three characters or roles or positions that this dynamic encourages is that of the creator, the coach, and the challenger. Let, let's let's switch them around because I think coach, and I'll tell you about this in a sec. I think coach comes first and then within coach, 
there is the creator and the challenger role. Now, having studied the drama triangle and the empowerment dynamic for, for some time now, and having coached literally thousands of people over the last 25 years, I would lump all three of these roles or characters into one, as I just mentioned, and that is simply that of the coach. So we could almost think of it as only two roles. Well, one role with two, two dynamics, the role of coach, and then you get to decide, well, am I creator today or am I challenger? And I'll tell you about those. I will break down what the specific characteristics of each role are, but the reality is that all of these character traits and roles in the empowerment dynamic are simply, in my opinion, descriptions of a good coach. Because a good coach listens to hear and understand, not to respond. A good coach coaches the person, not necessarily the problem. A good coach is positive and has an abundance mindset. A good coach empowers the student to solve their own issues. A good coach has faith in the wisdom of the growth process. A good coach knows everyone has the innate power to solve their own shit, their own issues, and then works to help them unleash their own strength and recognition of that innate power. That's a good coach. A good coach tries to give the student the power to solve their own problems in perpetuity, not just in the moment. That means when you coach the person, you help them recognize the problem, you're helping them solve that problem in perpetuity, meaning going forward to the rest of their life. See, that's the difference between the hero, the rescuer, and a good coach. The hero or rescuer wants to solve the problem. They want to coach to the problem. Let me remove this. Let me fix this problem for you. And then the victim can play the victim and never solves their problem. So the problem can keep coming up. And the hero might come back next time and go, well, didn't we, didn't we just solve this problem two weeks ago? And the victim goes, yeah, but it popped up again. And then the hero goes, okay, okay no problem. I'll take care of it for you. I'm the hero. No, a good coach solves teaches the person to solve their own problem in perpetuity, not just in the moment. A good coach is patient, knowing that most problems occur because of deeply held beliefs and patterns, often limiting ones, and all of those patterns noted in the drama triangle. One doesn't just fix problems that have been developed and honed over many, many years, sometimes decades. Remember, whatever scripts and roles we've learned to play in various situations and with people have been reinforced over many, many years, sometimes decades. Imagine this. Imagine taking some duct tape and making a one foot by one foot square in the middle of your garage door. Taking a tennis ball standing 30 or 40 feet away and then throwing the tennis ball at that one foot by one foot square every day. I used to do this with a hockey stick and a tennis ball on my parents' garage door and it drove them crazy. I'd start at six in the morning and do it for three or four hours. So imagine you do this. Do you think you'd be pretty good at hitting the center of the square? Now, coming from a martial arts and training background, I can tell you that repetition is the main driver of habits and progress, regardless of whether or not they're positive or negative. By the way, habits can be negative. Repetition of a negative habit, take whatever one it is, biting your nails, smoking, drinking, poor eating, you name it. But repeat it over and over and over, and it becomes the driver of that habit. It reinforces it. Do something over and over for daily for 10, 20, 30 years, and it becomes hardwired. The neurons in our brains that fire together, wire together. Every time they fire together, the wiring becomes stronger and more defined, and it becomes less and less conscious. By the way, the neurons that fire together and wire together eventually develop into what we call our personality. And our personality becomes our personal reality. Very difficult to change. You can change it, 
but you got to recognize where the repetition comes into play. Once the proper conditions present themselves and the script is activated, it is almost completely subconscious. I mean, below conscious thought. It just happens. Pulling ourselves and our coworkers out of the drama triangle requires a compassionate process of coaching. Now, let's talk briefly about those three roles in the empowerment dynamic, as one of those roles may resonate more with you than the other. But please keep in mind, and again, this is just my opinion, a good coach is all three of these things. Well, a good coach is, is two of them, because one of them is just the coach. So a good coach is two, is both the creator and the challenger when the, when the situation dictates it. So the first role is that of the creator, let's say. The creator sees life through an empowered and uplifting lens of possibility and opportunity. I mean, the reason it's called a creator is because they believe in creating things, creating positivity, things that didn't have life, giving them life and bringing them into the world. They believe in taking radical responsibility for their own shit and for choosing their responses carefully to life challenges. Again, as we said before, they the, the, the creator recognizes that the only thing that we have control over is how we choose to respond Something we can't control another individual. We can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we respond to it. When the creator is faced with one of life's many ups and downs, many of the setbacks that we all experience and the struggles, the creator focuses on what is to be learned from the struggle. The creator is constantly asking, what is the lesson in this pain or this suffering or this struggle or this setback or this challenge? The creator is always learning and growing and on a continuous journey of improving themselves. The Japanese word kaizen. Continuous improvement for the good of all. That's the creator. They've got a strong belief that they and they alone control their own destiny. This is a big one. You control your destiny. Not external forces, not somebody else. And you can't let somebody else control your personality and your attitude. Creators are adaptive. They're resourceful. And they are great reframers. I don't even know if that's a word, but I've been using it for years. What's a reframer? A reframer is somebody who takes a potentially negative situation and perspective and then reframes it in a positive way so as to get the most juice and growth from it. That is a reframer and creators are great reframers. Now the next role or character in the empowerment dynamic is that of the coach, at least in that dynamic. But again, I think coach is just the overall umbrella and underneath it is the challenger and the creator. Nevertheless, in the dynamic, the coach resists, the coach, a good coach, resists the natural urge to want to be the hero and the rescuer and solve other people's problems and instead asks, how are we going to get what we want from this situation? They're asking this of the individual that they're working with. Instead of rescuing them and solving their problem, what do we want to get from this? What are our options? What's a positive response in this situation? What are some alternatives to solving this challenge? And then they let the student come up with the answers. This is how people learn and grow. In fact, any parent knows this method for raising intelligent, happy, well-adjusted, and empowered young people. You can't solve all of their problems every time they arise. Our job as parents, beyond a certain point, beyond you know sticking food in their face and changing their diapers... Our job as parents is to coach our kids when they get to that age on how to make good choices and decisions. And coaching, much like parenting, requires lots of patience and self-discipline to not jump in and give all the answers or solve all their problems or remove all of their challenges from them. 
I can tell you as a parent of two young men, 18 and 21, that it's very difficult to not exercise patience. You want your kids not to suffer. You want your kids to have a better life than maybe you did growing up. You want your kids to not have to deal with issues and challenges. But there's some discipline involved. You recognize that they need to go through those things. They need to suffer a little bit. They need to solve their own problems and they need to learn how to do that. And so parenting at some point, of course your job when they're a certain age is to keep them from dying essentially. I got to keep this thing alive for some period of time, at which point they take over, they can feed themselves and they can get themselves dressed and they can kind of keep themselves alive. You still got to coach them on, you know, why not to step in front of a car and why not to do stupid shit. But essentially that's your job as a parent and then to coach. And then there's an interesting thing that happens between one age and another age where you become more coach and less parent. And a good coach lets the individual come to their own conclusions and responses, even sometimes when you know that they aren't making the rest, the best conclusion, coming to the best conclusion or making the best response, as in parenting. But a good coach lets them come to their own conclusions, sometimes with a little extra perspective from the coach, but that's how people grow. I have had people come to me five, ten plus years later in a coaching relationship and say, Blaine, I finally get what you've been trying to get me to see regarding this or that. Now that means that the seeds were planted that long ago with questions and insight, but the person wasn't ready to accept or to see or to employ that particular perspective or response in that way. They just weren't ready. You know, there's a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, it's the same thing with coaching. When the student is ready, they will understand and see the perspective that you're trying to offer. But until they're ready, they can't see it. A good coach can't force things onto people who aren't ready to accept them. A good coach is prepared to wait a year, three, 10, or 20 for somebody to grow beyond their issues and into an empowered state where they get it and they can now employ better responses to life and to other people. In fact, a good coach is ready to sacrifice the relationship for the good of the relationship, not just to benefit themselves, the coach, but to sacrifice the relationship for the benefit of the relationship. Sometimes the coach knows, you know what? I've got to jettison this relationship for that person's highest and best good. That's a good coach. Now, the last role in this dynamic is that of the challenger. The challenger is the part of the coach that I would say is that's a little more brash. They are opinionated, but in a good way. And they are maybe a little more vocal about what they see as a positive path forward for somebody. Now, like the name implies, the challenger speaks the truth in a way that inspires learning and growth. They challenge people. The challenger values the ability to inspire others to reach their highest good and to be a little better tomorrow than they are today. They challenge people. The challenger may initially appear like a, pro, a persecutor and that they're, they can be somewhat judgmental, but the difference, and here it is, it's a big one. The difference is that their judgments are about issues, not about people. The challenger can have really strong, usually does have strong opinions about issues, about situations, and about the solutions, but they're able to deliver the info without blame, shame, or judgment. And if you remember the persecutor from last week, they try to control people through judgment, shame, and blame. They try to make people feel small as a way to create what I call controllable chaos. If the persecutor can make you feel small and weak, you are easy to control. 
The challenger on the opposite end of that spectrum is very, very comfortable in chaos and uncertainty. That's what makes them a good counter to the persecutor. The persecutor is doing their thing, trying to make people feel small and weak and creating chaos. Because if they can create chaos, everybody is running around, utilizing their, expending their resources, trying to make sense of the chaos, while the persecutor is just kind of chuckling inside, going, now I have you under control. The challenger, on the other hand, is very comfortable in the chaos, very relaxed, low resting heart rate, low breathing. They take it easy and they go, yeah, man, do what you're going to do. I'm cool. No chaos for me. Do your thing. Imagine a fictional Hollywood character in an action film. This is the maybe the Arnold Schwarzenegger type thing or a, a James Bond character calmly walking through a battle zone with bullets whizzing by their head and explosions going off all around him. They're moving with intention and they don't seem to be phased at all by all the chaos and the danger going on around him. That's the challenger. The challenger is okay with not having all the answers in a situation because, well, they have faith that answers and paths will reveal themselves with movement. And this is a big key. With movement. You have to keep moving. There has to be movement forward. With movement, you can make micro-adjustments. You can change. You can correct. You can pivot. But there has to be movement. The challenger has no need to be right, by the way, or have all the answers. They want to help the individual see the world from a different perspective that will allow them to choose better responses in challenging situations. Now, as I mentioned before going deeper on each of these roles in the dynamic, I believe each of these roles to simply be descriptions of a good coach. That's my opinion. I think a good coach should have a little challenger in them. They should have a creator in them. That's what makes them a good coach. I don't actually think there are three. I think some therapist somewhere just came up with this as a way to sound intelligent. It's all just good coaching. A good coach at times is a challenger. I see myself in that role more than I see myself in any other role. But I also have the attitude of a creator. I know this. I'm a positive reframer of almost everything. I see the good in all situations. I see the positive outcomes and opportunities in all situations. I talk about it on this podcast all the time. But I'm also a challenger. I try to poke and push people, but in a positive way. And I think it can be a bit confusing to try to think through these roles and then try to imagine which one you are or can be or should be in various situations. Because anytime we have to think about something, we slow down. So when you find yourself caught up in a drama triangle in some way, you shouldn't have to stop and think, hmm, should, should I be the coach in this situation or, or, or am I, should I be the creator or should I be a challenger? No. The point of the empowerment dynamic, in my opinion, is simply to start bringing recognition to when we get stuck in being the victim, in being the rescuer or the hero, and when we're being the persecutor. And then be able to transform into a good coach instead. You shouldn't have to stop and think. The point of training, by the way, to go back to the martial arts example, the point of training is not necessarily to learn a new thing, to learn a new technique. No, the point of training is to lessen and close the gap between conscious thought and response. The point of training is to make your responses almost unconscious. At the beginning of something, when you're a beginner, you have to think a lot about your responses. You have to think a lot about your choices. If it's a move or if it's a thing, if you're drawing, it doesn't matter. You're playing the guitar. 
I want to play this particular chord on the guitar. I have to think about it. I have to set myself up. I have to look at my fingers on the strings. I have to think how hard I'm pressing. And then I have to look at my other hand and I have to strum. And then I have to think back. I have to listen through my ears and then go, okay, did that sound like the right chord? And it's a long process. That's what we call the gap, the timing gap. Well, the training, practice, constant evolutions, more at-bats, reduces that gap so that less and less do I have to look at my chord hand. Less and less do I have to think about the strum. Less and the, the gap gets shorter. So the point of practicing and training something is to not have to think. In the Zen world, we would say there is a hair's breadth between thinking and doing, meaning you can't even slide one human hair in between that gap. And you get there by training. Training is designed to close the gap. So I don't want you to have to think Oh, there's three different roles in the empowerment. Let's see, am I being a creator, a challenge? No, it's all just good coaching. The point is to start bringing recognition to when we get stuck in one of those roles on the drama, drama triangle and then transform into a good coach. How would a good coach handle this particular situa situation? How could I challenge in a positive and uplifting way instead of judging and blaming? And how could I change the energy around this so that the people involved in this situation have an opportunity to feel empowered, instead of helpless, possibly judged, and then recognize their innate ability to solve their own problem. It is important to remember that we do not have the power to change other people. We can uplift. We can offer perspective. We can withdraw so as not to be a target. Sometimes that's the best thing. Don't be a target. We can challenge in a positive way, but we cannot change another person. When people try to activate that drama script, with their behaviors, it's best to simply not play into the script. As leaders and as business people, we also have something of a responsibility to recognize it when it pops up in our businesses. It is damaging, it is time-consuming, and it is costly. I coach people in companies every week where these drama triangles are occurring on a weekly basis. It's obvious, it's damaging, it's time-consuming, it's draining, and it's costly. And it's only when I can get the owner, and by the way, sometimes the owner is the problem, but when I can get the owner to see how the scripts are activated, even if they're the ones activating them, and then everyone plays out their roles with precision, well, then they start to wake up to it. Then we start to work on how to slip into more of a coaching role whereby they sometimes have to choose, do I just need to do a little coaching or do I need to do a little positive challenging? So I will ask you all again, where do you recognize yourself falling into certain roles on the drama triangle? With whom do you most often play out that script? Who triggers you in your life, maybe in your office, to play out the victim or the hero and rescuer role or to become the judge, the jury, and the executioner? Who in your business triggers you to fall into one of those roles? The first step to growth is recognition and admission. The first step in any 12-step recovery program is recognition of and admission that you have a problem. The first step in getting out of the infinity loop of drama is to recognize who triggers you, in what way, and what script and role is being activated. The next step is to get really good at becoming a coach and choosing an empowered and an empowering role instead of one of the limited and limiting ones on the drama triangle. Until next week, my friends, I'm out.